Mac Power Users, Episode 316, Locking Down Your Technology. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside my pal David Sparks. Hello, David. Hey, Katie. How are you today? I'm great. You know, it's kind of a different world now that we live in, and people are all scared about um, you know, encryption and who's got access to your stuff. I'm really excited that people have a general awareness now that bad things are out there and can happen. Yeah. And, um, and sadly, there's a lot of people making their living off doing really bad things. So the rest of us need to be on alert. So we thought we'd take an episode to talk about all the ways you can lock down your technology. We're going to cover iOS and Mac, your home network, you know, the whole enchilada as they say and you know one thing i'd like you to take from this show when you're done listening to it is not only locking down your own stuff but helping out your family and friends around you because there's a whole lot of people not listening to the show that really should be listening to the show you know i was just going to say this because i bet a lot of our mac power users listeners are already doing a lot of this but i i bet you they're going to learn a thing or two from the show and i hope you walk away from the show with at least a couple of new ideas of things that you can implement but then when you're done implementing it on your own setup then take it a step further and talk to your spouse, talk to your kids, talk to your parents and your grandparents, and see what you can do to help them lock down their tech. Because you know when something goes wrong, who's going to get that call? So you got the kids, the parents, grandparents. You didn't cover uncles and aunts, though. That's true. I mean, I, I don't know. How much extended tech support do you se- provide se- for your se- family? Second cousins? Does second cousins, yeah. So I, I have this thing about second cousins. Why do we call them second cousins? I, You know, my family, they're just cousins. You know, your aunts and uncles and cousins. Everybody's a cousin. We're, we're very, we're very lackadaisical about that in our family. Right. I mean, I think you're actually a cousin of mine somehow. I'm sure. According I'm sure. to our theory. <laughs> hey, uh, before we get started on the topic, though, I've got news and uh, I've been wanting to share this for a while, but now I can actually say something publicly. Um, uh, the Sparks House has been deep, deep, deep into App Camp the last <laughs> six months or so. And I've mentioned it before. My wife has been working with Gene McDonald at App Camp to, to put one on here in Orange County where I live. Um, and it has been like, you could make a little like movie about the whole process of trying to get a location. I don't even want to, you totally should do that. You've got some filming. Your yeah, family. I guess. I mean, I mean, promises were made, promises were broken. It was just like all sorts of just like shenanigans, but we finally, we got a place we've got, you know, we've got a date. So, so there is an app camp for girls in orange County, California. That's going to be August 8th through 12th. And um, we are coordinated out of my house, basically. <laughs> it's not the location, but this is a mission control for the whole thing. App camp at David's kitchen table. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, we still need a few uh, people. We're looking particularly for a woman UI designer. We would like to teach the girls a little bit about user interface design. And I know there's some really smart ones out there. And I don't know if they're in Southern California or not. But if you're interested, please reach out to me or my wife. And if you go to MaxSparky.com, there's a bunch of posts on it with links for Daisy's email. Um, but anyway, get, get a word to us. We're also looking for volunteers in general. If you're in Orange County or Southern California, you want to help out, let us know. And uh, we are now officially looking for campers. Now, we didn't want to say that before until we knew we had all the other pieces in place. But we're close enough now we can get campers. I want to be so, a camper. Yeah, you don't quite fit, right, Katie. You're just a little bit too young. But I could uh, be a volunteer. Yeah, you could be a volunteer. Absolutely. You All can right. sleep on my couch. If you come out here and volunteer, Katie, I'll put you up. 
All right. Well, who can be a camper if I can't be a camper? Uh, any uh, young lady heading into the eighth or ninth grade. So if this, you know, if they're in seventh or eighth grade right now, this summer is when the camp takes place. They are prime candidates for App Camp for Girls. They're going to learn how to code. They're going to do a whole bunch of other fun stuff, too. It's really great. And at the end of the week, they have an app that they submit to the store. And in general, it's just a good time had by all. So, And they have uh, to be local to the Orange County area, right? Uh, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I mean, it would make sense to be local, but I guess if somebody wanted to come from Australia and get a hotel, they could do that too. You know, and then they could go to Disneyland afterwards. In fact, if you fly from Australia to go to app camp for girls well, with your kids, I will go to Disneyland with you and I will show you the local, I will give you the local tour. Will you narrate a jungle cruise for them? I will, to, to the extent they don't throw me overboard, I will do that for you. So. There you go, everyone. Anyway. You better uh, check yeah. with Gene and make sure that that's all yeah. kosher. And this isn't just App Camp Orange County. They've got them, uh, in, they've got them in Portland and uh, multiple locations. So go to App Camp for Girls and uh, take a look and see if you can find one near you for the young woman around you that would like to learn to code. And uh, thanks, everybody, for putting up with me as we go through this. And if you have anything to help, uh, please contact us. Sounds Sounds great. All right, so let's let's move on to um, security and locking down your technology. And I think the first topic we should talk about is physically locking down your devices. And maybe let's start with iOS and ease into this because that's probably a little easier place to start because there are not as many options. Um, but it's also been very controversial lately because of the whole Apple FBI things that have been in the news, you know, where um, the FBI was trying to get Apple to break into the San Bernardino shooter's iPhone. There have been a couple other cases that have since been publicized because of this. And I, I think what this brought awareness to is that it's really not easy to get into an iPhone by default if you turn a couple of things on. Yeah. You know, I grew up in San Bernardino County. That's where I grew up. Wow. So now everybody in the world can pronounce it because nobody ever could before. I still can't spell it. Yeah. All right. Um, the good news on iOS is that security is an option at all. <laughs> you know, the, um, uh, you know, it's a platform that doesn't have a lot of user control. And uh, Apple has been hard at work trying to lock themselves out of the platform, as famously we know now. Um, it depends on which device you have. I believe the cutoff for the better security is the 5S. I think before the 5S, you didn't have the... Um, secure enclave security. That's correct. And that, that really came in at the same time that they put touch ID in place. So, and if I say anything too technical here, I will absolutely screw it up. But the fact is there's a little happy place on the microchip. Is that a technical term? Sure. Let's go with it. Okay. It's a little happy place on the microchip that secures data and it's in the silicon. It's not software, which makes it really hard for really bad people to get in and cause trouble. And, um, as well as the FBI <laughs> and um, the um, so that is the good news. The bad news for a lot of people is you actually have to enable security to make it work. Yeah. And Apple prompts you now to enable passcode security by default when you set up an iOS device. And they've done this for several versions of iOS. And I believe it was recently with iOS nine where they now prompt you not just to enter a four digit pin, but to enter a six digit pin. Um, and that's, I, I admit, I had a simple four-digit pen for a while. And after all of this stuff came to the news, I was like, no, you know, I use Touch ID quite a bit. I don't have to actually enter that pen very often. I think Touch ID has made this a lot easier. 
I'm transitioning over to a little more secure uh, pin number. And you can either choose a longer um, d- pin number, um, you know, that's all digits, or you can choose an alphanumeric number. Uh, now, keep in mind, you probably are going to have to input that a couple of times or fairly often, but n- not as often as you would have to if you didn't have Touch ID. I mean, you, you have to input it when you restart the device. When you restart the device after a software update. I mean, there are a couple occasions where you have to input yeah. it. But, I mean, it depends on how often you restart. I, I don't know. I find myself restarting my phone probably once a week for various reasons. So it's not that often. I, I made the argument when I got first got my iPhone 5S that the existence of Touch ID made password security in general better because of exactly the reason Katie just explained. Because if you're using a four-digit code now and you're using Touch ID, that's kind of silly in my mind because you're not going to need to put that thing in very often. In fact, it really, you know, you were saying restarting the device or software update. Well, those happen at the same time. And when you do a software update, it in essence restarts it. I mean, it just doesn't, because I, I have a nice long alphanumeric on mine and I can tell you, I don't have to type it that often. So why not put in better security? And And I'm not really that worried. Like everybody who talks about this, I am way too boring to, you know, to have anybody really that interested in what's on my device. But at the same time, why should I make it easy? Um, so so go ahead and, and try an alphanumeric or at least a six, six digit pin. Very easy to do. And like this is another one. Uh, please spread the news on this one, because I think a lot of people are uh, are really hung up on that four digit passcode. Right. In fact, and you may not want to make it something that's super easy to guess. Yeah. And well, it. Four digit is always super easy to guess because you're going to go to the birthday of the kids, the year of the anniversary, um, the year of your birth. I mean, I think I just named the passcode for about half the people listening to the show. Um, 1701. Yeah. Not my password. Just saying. Thought about it, though. There you go. Does Um, the Millennium Falcon have like a serial number insignia? um, You know, that's a good question. I I recently saw a... um, in the Star Wars extras, I believe <laughs> they had a um, they had a thing in there how the the computer designers and modelers went and got pictures of the original like model they used in seventy seven. Yeah, and they the guys that made it had a huge sense of humor, and they were buying all these model kits. You know, they would just I think they call them greebles. You know, they just get like pieces of plastic and they would just glue it on the end. You know, and then paint it, and it would give it some kind of look. And they would even put the decals on, so they would have. If you look at the original, it says like "Watch your head," and it's got all these funny little decals on it. Well, they they apparently digitized all that into the one used in the movie. Huh. But it, but it's so small you can't see it. So I'm sure there's a number in there somewhere. Um, the other thing that you can do, getting back to iOS, and this was you know the big concern with the San Bernardino shooter's phone, is that if you guess the wrong password too many times, uh, and it's ten, ten is the magic number that you can set iOS to erase your phone after 10 attempts. This was something that until recently I also had turned off. But I tell you, I went into my settings and went into the lock settings and turned that sucker on. Uh, It's going to be unlikely that I'm going to mistype my password 10 times in a row. And iOS has got mechanisms built in, widely publicized now, that will slow you down. So you can enter the past. I'm not going to try it right now on my phone, but you can enter the passcode a couple of times in pretty rapid succession because you know people mistype or miskey. But after a couple of times of entering it, it's going to then slow you down and stall you and then make you wait a minute and then make you wait five minutes and then make you wait 10 minutes. And then before you can get to the point where it actually erases your phone, there's a pretty long delay. 
um, before it will completely lock you out. Now, I will caution you that if you have young children and they tend to play with your phone, this may want to be something that you want to be wary of. But then I've also had parents of young children tell me that they're not as concerned about it because the kids should never have the phone long enough to do some damage, but to do that much damage. But I guess they could lock you out for, you know, an hour or so. Yeah, that that's the the big risk with the kids. The kids aren't going to get the phone erased because the thing is going to lock up. And the attention span of a child um, around that age is, is, is something around 10 seconds. So as soon as it says uh, you've got to wait a few minutes, they're going to move on to the next thing they can destroy. That That's my experience with my children. But the, um, the you know, that works on the watch, too. I, I don't know if it does the erase, but it does lock if you miss the code after a certain number of attempts. I was in the Apple store uh, buying one of these new uh, bands, you know, these new woven bands. What do you call them? Whatever. Got the orange one. I like it. Um, but the uh, I was trying them on. And in the process of changing the bands, I didn't realize I had the phone upside, the watch upside down. I was entering the passcode. So when I turned it over to pay for the watch band with my watch, it was locked for five minutes. So I had done I had done whatever number of attempts it takes to lock it up. So that was kind of a funny story sitting in the Apple store waiting for it to unlock. But, uh, you know, the question as to whether or not to do the erase after 10 attempts thing, I guess it depends how manic you are. I've always had it on, and that's just because I think I enjoy, um, I just like kind of enjoy the whole idea of that, you know, self-destruct, you know, growing up reading John Le Carré and watching James Bond, it just seems natural that I would want to turn that on. Yeah, well, honestly, you want to make sure that you have a good backup of your phone, especially if you turn that on. Um, maybe iCloud backup. We'll talk about that. I mean, definitely iCloud backup. I think we'll talk about the risks and benefits which is, of that, <laughs> which is coincidentally not secured. So, well, it is. It is secured. Don't say that it's not secured, but it it can be accessed with a subpoena. Yes, there you go. Um, all right. Um, so some other ideas about securing your device, and uh, this happened for a friend of mine. Uh, he came over and accidentally left his phone here. And then later in the night, started getting a bunch of text messages. And my wife and family and kids and I were had a really good time reading those messages. <laughs> and, 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 um, yeah, he's, he's like a really close friend. So if you knew the guy, you'd be like, yeah, that sounds like the kind of people that would be sending him messages. So when he came over, we were uh, reading them back for him because we loved it so much and he was turned a very dark shade of red, but just be advised uh, when you've got those notifications on to show things on your lock screen, it will be on your lock screen, whether you're there or not. So make sure that you, uh, you do something about that. Yeah. The other thing you want to be aware of is um, your notifications, the, like missed notifications and today view. So those can all be tweaked, like David was mentioning in the notification setting, whether something shows on the lock screen you want to be particularly wary of that of any type of messaging app like iMessage or Mail. Um, and then if you have any third-party messaging apps as well, um, as well as what shows on your home screen. And you can change that in your settings as well. Do you want someone to be able to pull down and see your Today View widget? Do you want them to be able to pull down and see your notifications? I'm sure there's somebody in the world that is like interviewing for a job right now and they left their phone at work and their boss is seeing the emails coming in from the potential new employer. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that just happens. Well, I believe you, what you can do is if you run home, uh, you can put your phone in lost mode with find yeah. my iPhone and that will lock it down without erasing it. But it will, like, if you, if you know your, where your phone is and you, you, you don't want to erase it because you know yeah. where it is, you can, you can using find my iPhone, you can put it in lost mode. Yeah. 
so just I I guess the advice there would be give some thought to that because you can secure it very well. The the iOS devices are easy to secure, but uh, because of the convenience, uh, some data will slurp through, especially with notifications and lock screens and today view. Yeah, well, that took longer than I thought, but uh, let's move on quickly to the to the Mac. And I think the big thing with the Mac is uh, your Mac also comes equipped with a password. And it's been a while since I've set up a, a Mac from scratch. I know it asks you for a password, but by default, I don't recall if it sets you to auto login or not. Um, one of the things that I always do is I always disable auto login. So the way you can check this is restart your Mac. And if you don't touch the keyboard and it automatically logs you in and you see the finder, uh, you've got log auto login enabled. And I strongly suggest that you disable that because if you're auto logged in, then whoever restarts your Macs and turns it on can get access to whatever content is in there. Yeah, a friend of mine called and said that his son, they were having an tr- issue with his son and computer time on the Mac. And he said, now he's doing really good, but he spends all his time in the study of reading. I'm like, oh, really? I said, now tell me this. If you turn off the computer and turn it back on again, what happens? And he says, oh, it just logs into my wife's account. I'm like, well, that's why he's doing so good on his his parental controls, because he's on your wife's account. And yeah. sure enough, he was. So. So uh, you can have all the security in the world, but if you have it where the thief can just turn the thing off and turn it back on and get into your account, you got an issue. Yeah, and your kids will figure it out as well. Yeah, they'll figure it out faster than the than the crooks will. Um, so the other thing that you can do that's related to that is you need to get um, uh, lock your computer whenever it goes to sleep or comes back from a screensaver. And you can do that in, in system preferences and the security system preference pane as well just a quick checkbox up there. But the other side of that is you want to make sure that after a reasonable period of time, your Mac does automatically go to sleep or it does automatically switch over to a screensaver. And the amount of time that you want this to happen really depends on what type of environment your Mac is set up in. You know, if you're, if it only lives in your home, then you may be okay with a little bit longer period of time. Um, If it's a laptop or if it's a, if it's a Mac in an office, you're probably going to want a shorter period of time. Yeah. And, and the one thing um, that we, we've mentioned this occasion on the show, we've never given it like full Mac power users treatment because it, it doesn't need an hour and a half, but file vault is just so amazing on the Mac. And it's a shame that they use the same name as the prior product, which was so terrible uh, because I think a lot of people got a bad taste of the original iteration of it and they just never went back. But File Vault is basically whole disk encryption on the Mac. It's a service I used to pay a couple hundred dollars a year for through a different service, but you know now they just have it built in. And and we, we're going to say this every time the subject comes on, but go and turn it on. Just turn it on. Turn it on on your iMac that's on your desk. Turn it on on your Mac laptop. Just turn it on. It's, it's a great way to really help protect your data. If the crooks yank your hard drive out, they aren't going to get the information that they want. If they take the computer with them, it, it's you are way more secure with that turned on than you are having it turned off. And amazingly, I can't tell any performance difference. And every time I say that, somebody tells me, you know, they write in and say, well, I can, or there's a millisecond here, a millisecond there. I, I don't, I can't tell any difference. Right. I also have found vault turned on for all of my machines. You know, the only thing that one, I think you could possibly make a case for not turning it on is maybe a home server, but I have it on on my server because I have things that sync to that server. I have email synced to that server and uh, Dropbox files that sync to that server. So yeah, I have I have FileVault turned on everything. I agree. 
the other thing to look at is not everybody needs to run as an administrator on your computer. Uh, some people would argue that nobody needs to run as an administrator and you need to have a separate administrator account on your machine. But we've seen a couple of instances of Mac malware pop up, of you know fake installers to things. And it's very easy now. And those the there are people who literally spend their day trying to figure out how to trick you into installing something that you shouldn't install so that they can get access to your computer. And that's all they're doing all day long. And so it it's very easy to fall prey to these. And especially if you're maybe more of a novice computer user or beginning computer user. And even those of us who are power users can fall prey to these things. And if you're not an administrator on the computer, you can do a lot less damage. Um, especially if you, even if you know the administrative password, but you have to think twice before entering it, you know, sometimes just that little pause um, can give you another minute to think and say, well, why am I doing this exactly? Um, so maybe consider making a separate admin account to your computer or having everybody except that one person who is absolutely necessary running as a standard user and not as an admin. Yeah. So if you're at the sharp end of the stick in your family, uh, maybe you're the admin, but like your family, uh, maybe your husband and your kids are not so uh, tech savvy. Make them, you know, don't make them admins. Uh, Other tips for your Mac. Oh, don't forget to encrypt your backup drives. You know, using disk utility now, now you have to wipe the drive before you do this, but you can reformat a drive as an encrypted drive. So before you start making clone backups or before you... um, start storing uh, archives on a separate drive or even flash drives, consider encrypting those drives. And that, you know, you're much more likely to lose probably an external hard drive than you are your main machine. Maybe, maybe not. But it's helpful to know that that external drive is encrypted as well. And keep in mind that Time Machine can encrypt both your local and your time capsule backups. That's a setting in Time Machine as well. So don't forget to encrypt your external drives and backups. Somewhat related, um, if you're carrying around little portable thumb drives or memory sticks uh why not encrypt those as well um i i was just at a conference uh, for lawyers and a guy there who was on the ethics board for a state was telling me how much trouble a lawyer got in because someone uh had a little thumb drive that he was keeping a bunch of client files on and he lost it in the subway and all that stuff ended up on the internet so um you know think don't just think about the big disks for encryption think about anything that you're putting data on for encryption Right. And you can either encrypt the disk itself or you can encrypt just the data on the disk using like a secure disk image that you're creating with, um, you know, with disk utility. Yep. So we've got more to talk about uh, in terms of securing things inside your home. Uh, But before we do, we'll take a quick break and be right back. So I want to take a brief moment to talk about our sponsor, Igloo, the Internet you'll actually like. So with Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk to do your work. You can manage your task list from your desktop during a meeting. You can share status updates from your phone as you're leaving a client site. You can access the latest version of a file from your home in your pajamas, if that's what you want, or the sleep night shirt that David's going to talk about. Uh, Nobody's going to know. And everything is mobile, so why shouldn't your work be too? If you've ever looked at your corporate intranet and thought, my goodness, whoever designed this must truly hate me, well, those days are over. Igloo allows you to make the internet look and feel like a place you actually want to be. It's amazingly configurable, and you can completely rebrand it to give it the look and feel of your team. Thanks to things like group spaces, role-based access permissions, an easy drag-and-drop widget editor, 
you can reorganize the whole platform so it fits exactly how your teams work. With our mobile lives, people are increasingly bringing outside applications into the companies, and sensitive documents are getting scattered across multiple platforms. That can cause a lot of problems if you're not careful, but not if you use Igloo. Igloo allows you to integrate services like Box, Google Drive, Dropbox into one big, easy-to-secure platform. So if you've heard the buzzwords like 256 encryption, single sign-on, active directory integrations, don't worry about that because Igloo just takes care of it and you'll know how safe and secure Igloo is. With Igloo, you can share files with your coworkers. You can all collaborate them on together. You can keep track of who has read what with read receipts. And this can be a super powerful tool for making sure that your critical information has been seen, making sure it's keeping everyone in the loop, and you know what is happening with your team. It's time to break away from the internet that you hate. So go ahead and sign up for Igloo right now. You can try it for free for any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want. So if you've got a small group, you may never have to pay for Igloo. But we're hoping that you'll incorporate it with your bigger team and they can find the advantages too. So you can sign up over at igloosoftware.com slash macpowerusers. That's igloosoftware.com slash macpowerusers. So thanks so much to Igloo for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So more things in time inside your home that you need to encrypt. You need to look at the network level and encrypting your home network because uh, if bad guys get into your network, then you've got a world of trouble. And you also need to look at the individual devices on your network and make sure that you've taken care of them. So we did an entire show. We did a couple of shows on home networking. We had Bradley Chambers, I believe, join us on one of those. I think, wasn't it Bradley? Pretty sure it was. Yeah. Or or was, you know, we've, it's been a while, but yes, we had a guest for one of them. I'll put a link to that show in the show notes. Um, So I think the, whatever router you have, you absolutely positively want to make sure that you've got WPA2 encryption turned on that you've got a good, strong password for that router. And consider having a separate guest network uh, that friends and family can connect to when they come that's separate from your network that maybe has a little laxer or at least a little easier password that you can give to people that's separate from all of your other passwords. And and more importantly than even just the password ability, this the guest network gives you the ability to say, okay, you can have the internet in my house, but you don't get access to everything on my Drobo or, you know, drilling into the iMac or whatever data you've got stored somewhere. I mean, you just, I think it's a good idea. And with the modern routers, all of them make it easy. And I know the Apple ones make it ridiculously easy, but even the other manufacturers have guest network abilities. Right. And it was Bradley. I just looked up that episode. Yeah, you have a better memory than me. I think it's the <laughs> age thing. I'm, I'm losing it. Okay, change default admin password on your router. That's a good piece of advice. So uh, when you get whatever router you buy, it has a name and usually a default password, like admin. Admin, admin, like <laughs> yeah, usually. Exactly. And uh, you still see them. Like I, I, just the other day I was doing some troubleshooting on my own home network and I saw one of my neighbors had the Netgear like router that said Netgear. And I was thinking, I bet I could probably get into that if I wanted to. I bet they didn't change the password either. And um, that's not a very good idea. It's, it's not, it just takes a minute. And um, when you go in, check it out. That's another good one to be on the lookout for your friends and family. When you go to a, a family member's house and you see the Netgear router, ask them, you know, hey, you want me to help you uh, make that a little more secure? Yeah. If they haven't changed the default network name, a good bet they haven't changed the admin name on their yeah. password. I mean, maybe they have, but probably not. 
Yeah. Um, but it's your router is not the only one uh, in the house that has these default admin passwords. I mean, really, any of your internet connected devices um, typically have default dummy passwords. And you can just go online and Google what the default passwords are. And I tell you, the really, really scary one is webcams, especially when people are using them as baby cams. I mean, there's yeah. a whole, um, you know, uh, thing on the web devoted to, you know, hacking people or here's, you know, open webcams in people's homes that you can see. It's it's very scary. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, that is kind of the Wild West area right now. I mean, one of the things I mean, HomeKit, trust me, there's a lot of stuff wrong with Apple's HomeKit implementation, including the fact that it seems like nobody's building for it. But yeah. the um, but they do have encryption. They, they require encryption built into the devices, which I think is one of the reasons why it hasn't taken off like it, it like it could have. But encryption on these Internet connected devices, I think, is a huge deal. And. You know, I don't want somebody, you know, in Serbia, you know, changing, turning out the lights in my house. <laughs> and, <laughs> but all this stuff is going to be possible if we don't spend some time securing this stuff. So uh, hopefully that is something you'll be thinking about, because I, I think there's still going to be some problems with that in the next couple of years. And it's that problem isn't it's not in the public mind yet. I mean, even these Internet devices really aren't that big yet. But uh, a necessary next step of this is going to be securing it better. And if you're an early adopter like me, uh, try to be looking for ways that you can add security to that stack. Yes, yeah, some people have uh, written in to us and suggested hiding the SSID of your network. And I, I have mixed thoughts about that. It's something that I used to do. I would never suggest hiding it as security. I may suggest hiding it in addition to security because it, hiding it really doesn't hide it. I mean, people can still find it. But the only problem is that I found that when you hide your SSID of your network, it can create problems um, with connecting some of these smart home devices and things to your network. I mean, usually a computer is going to be okay with a hidden SSID, but a lot of other devices, not so much. Yeah. It, all of this, in fact, maybe this whole show, everything we've talked about is always a balance of security versus convenience. And when it comes to hiding the SSID, and what that means is ba basically making it so you don't see Netgear. In fact, if anybody's looking, they don't see the name of your network at all because you're well, If they're you're just hiding. passively looking. It, exactly. And that's the key point, passively looking. It's, it's just not going to show up. But the bad guys are going to see it very easily. And so in terms of the the security benefit versus the inconvenience, hiding the SSID, I think, is a poor bet because the bad guys are going to see it anyway, regardless of whether or not you hide it. And the stuff that you're going to want to do where it doesn't work because you've hidden it is just going to be a big pain in the neck. So you're not getting enough bang for your buck to justify it. Um, I think wired is always great if you can. I mean, wireless is wonderful now, but if you've got something sitting there and you've got an option to hardwire it in, consider doing that. But keep in mind, anything that has a wireless radio in it, you, you still need to be setting good passwords for, and you still need to be locking those down or turning them off if you're not using them. I think that's a good statement. Right. Um, anything else in your internal home network? I mean, we could we could probably do a whole show on... We'd have to get a security expert in here to talk about firewalls and, you know, doing those. But I, I think I'm generally a fan of yes. Yeah, yeah I think I think it's a good idea. I mean, uh, really, I mean, if you encrypt your Mac, encrypt your iOS device and lock down your home network, 
you're in good shape. And none of those are that hard. I mean, just in summary, on iOS, enable security, make a password, and you've enabled security on the Mac. Turn on File Vault and make sure you have a password when it unlocks in WPA2 on your home network. And boy, you are so far ahead of most people at that point. Yeah. Well, let's move on and let's kind of get outside of the home and talk about, you know, let's let's hit some basics first and then let's move into particular areas. And so um, some basics for security. I think the first thing we absolutely have to hit is is passwords. Because you and I have always said the single best thing that you can do, to, if you're only going to do one thing to up your security, probably the single best thing you can do is to have strong, unique passwords across all of the sites that you use. Because if you have bad passwords and something gets compromised, if you're using that same password over and over again across multiple sites, it's just a matter of time. Something's going to get compromised. And it could be through absolutely no fault of your own. I mean, you, all of these, you, you hear every day about another security breach of some other company's gotten compromised. And once your password gets out there, I mean, there are lists of passwords out there on the internet with usernames and passwords and all kinds of information associated with them. And once that gets out, uh, it, it's just a field day for people taking that information and plugging them into different services. Well, and what people don't realize is in the modern world, a hacker depending on how the site is set up, but a hacker could easily throw the entire Webster's dictionary at the password field. So it's um, in minutes. Yeah. So it's not, um, it's just not something where you can just try and think you're clever. You need to bring software in to back you up on this stuff. And and you, when all this started, we didn't have that many things that required passwords and it was something you might be able to pull off just keeping it in your brain, but that's not going to work anymore. And so, so get a password manager. I mean, use software to do this. Uh, there's, there's one that we like that sponsors our show. So, you know, full disclosure, one password, but there's other ones too. Yeah. A lot of people like LastPass as well. You know, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention them, but there was one I used to use on the Palm. (laughs) I don't (laughs) think, I don't think they they still exist. I think it was called Splash ID. I think it was called, it was okay. I mean, there's a bunch of them out there. Um, it still exists for iOS. I'm sorry. It's not just on Palm. Uh, but, you know, so go go look at them and, and find one that you're happy with. But but please use one because it makes a huge difference. Right. So uh, let's talk to the person for a minute who is sitting there and not currently using a password manager and is using the same, you know, variation of a password across multiple sites and multiple devices. How do you get started? Because it, you know that you've got to do it. You know it's the right thing to do, but it is just so overwhelming. You think tomorrow, next week, it's on my New Year's resolution list. I'll get to it during the summer when I have some downtime. It just, it's so overwhelming. It just keeps getting pushed back. It's, it's the old story about how you eat an elephant, you know. One bite one, at a time. One bite at a time. So I, I think the most important thing that you can do, and I think you and I are in agreement on this, is email. Well, I think, yeah, you just, you have to start with your mission critical accounts first and do a little bit, a little bit of time. Yeah. Well, and the email though, it's the gateway to all things you, because if someone gets your email credentials, um, and I had a discussion with a guy like this at a, at a recent conference I spoke at and he's like, I don't do anything on the cloud. I don't trust any of that stuff. And I said, well, tell me one thing. Do you have an IMAP email account? He's like, I don't know what that means. I said, well, does your email show up both on your phone and your computer? And he says, yeah, of course. And I said, okay, so how do you think your email knows to be in both places at once? 
you know, and he, he started to look a little nervous because it's on the internet and that's, a, that's what IMAP is. Your email is up there. So if someone has your credential, you are in the cloud and they can get access to all of those accounts you set up. Every time you set up a new account, you get a confirmation email from the vendor, whether it's buying a shirt or setting up your bank account. And so if somebody has your email account, they can send an inquiry to try and reset that password. And, you know, depending on a lot of things, which we're going to talk about as we get through the show, uh, in a lot of circumstances, that's all they need. Once they have your email address, they can reset your passwords and they can basically take over your accounts. So I think email is number one. Yeah. And then I think you just kind of go down the list of, um, you know, if we had to prioritize after email, financial accounts are certainly up there. You know, your banks, your brokerage accounts, your credit card accounts, any of those, anything that deals with money would definitely be up there. Um, social media would be another one that would definitely be up there because those are good ve- big vectors for attacks. I think any place that you shop or you routinely do business um, would also be up there. And and by the way, don't ever click the box that says, remember my credit card, because that is not a convenience. That is an invitation for a problem. Katie, I am so glad you said that because I, I, I am always aware of that whenever I go to an online vendor and, and maybe like 19 times out of 20, the box is checked by default. Oh, pre-checked. Here, let me check this for you. Yes. It's, it's already checked off. Right, and it's, right there next to, let me subscribe you to our newsletter. Yeah. And it, it's really just like saying, you know, why don't you just give me the keys to your vault so I can go get your gold out of Gringotts whenever, you know, I feel like you need to buy something. It, it's just crazy to leave that stuff with these vendors because every week you read about another one that just got hacked and all of the credit card data got released. It's just like, I am never going to check that box. And it is always checked. So uh, if you're out there uh, and you're signing for the accounts, make be like me, be skeptical and always look for the way, you know, to find out. Cause usually it's small and it's buried. It's at the bottom of some screen. Uh, it's always there and it's always checked, but they really don't want you to notice it. Right. And you know, I, I hate even brick and mortar stores are doing this, although it's harder. To, yeah. I don't think you can opt out of it there, but they're saying, Oh no, you don't, you don't need your receipt to return something. Just bring your credit card back. Cause we keep your credit card on file with a list of all your purchases. Really? Yeah. You think that's a good idea? Yeah, no, I can't wait till that doesn't work anymore. I mean, that's really the promise of Apple Pay and some of its competing, you know, products. The idea, because, you know, Apple Pay, every time you use your watch to pay or your phone, it it generates a new number. And so they aren't going to be able to keep a list of everything you've bought because they're going to have all these different random numbers for every transaction. And that's going to be inconvenient for you. But but we're geeks and we're going to have scan the receipts. Right. So who cares? <laughs> and. But the good news is that means they aren't going to have your credit card. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of reasons why people are fighting this from the retail side. But one of them is they want the data they get from having the credit card because they know everything that you buy. Right. Um, and then you're a big fan, David, of uh, resetting the passwords the same time you check your smoke detector batteries. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, I do it every time the clocks change. Well, that's when you're supposed to check your smoke detector batteries, too. I don't, I don't do that every... I, I, oh, I, my goodness. So what I do, my my, my this is my theory. I wait till 3 a.m. in the morning. Something <laughs> goes, beep. <laughs> and my wife that's kicks me out That's not a good bed, plan. And I'm wandering around the house with a ladder. And I'm like, wow, I should have really done this recently. Then I buy a whole bunch of batteries and change them all the next day. But that that's my general theory. It's not a good plan. It's, okay, so yeah. here's what you're supposed to do. Every time the clocks change, which is twice a year, you're supposed to do two things. One is you're supposed to change all of your smoke detector and carbon monoxide batteries. Um, Or I do it when Barry Folk sends me an email because he reminds me. 
and okay. and two, you're supposed to uh, go through and change your mission critical passwords. Yeah. And the way that I've done this is I have a tag in one password that I call, of course, Red Alert. Of course. What? Do you, yeah. Um, I don't know what is the Star Wars equivalent of Red Alert. Um. Star Wars, they don't even say red alert. They just start shooting. <laughs> you know, I mean. so, so I have a tag called red alert and I've got my most critical passwords in red alert. And then I go through when the clocks change and I change all those. Yeah. Good job. I, I think that's important. And, and I, I change my smoke detector batteries. And I always know uh, who the Mac Packers listeners are because I always get all these tweets whenever the clocks change. Like, all right, Sparky, I went ahead and did it. I changed my passwords. So I, I'm happy to know people are still doing that. Right. It's a it's a good idea because um, you know one of the things you don't know is if you get hacked, they aren't going to send you a note usually and say, "Hey, I hacked you!" Ha ha ha. Usually, they're going to just leave things going because they want access for a long time. Right, and then I am really also a big fan of two factor authentication. And amen, sister. And I am loving the fact that it is popping up in more places and everywhere it goes. I turn it on. Uh, Apple has done a really good job recently of implementing two factor authentication. Google has it everywhere. Uh, Amazon has introduced it. Evernote's got it. Um, Twitter has it. Facebook has it. Uh, Katie, explain it for the kids at home what it is. Okay, so two-factor authentication is basically the idea that I've got to have two things to be able to log into my account. And typically, it's not every time you log in, but it's when you log in from a new device or if your cookies have been reset or something like that. So I've got to have my username and password. But then I also have to have a physical device or a number. So it's a it's a code that is either automatically generated by like a password authentication app. Uh, there's one we like called Authy, and then one password recently added this ability too. Google also has an authenticator app, uh, but I think Authy and one password are better for a couple of reasons. Um, and then whenever you go to log in on a new device or after a device has been reset for some reason, it will ask you for that second factor. It'll ask you for that automatic code that is generated. Yeah. So just no code, no getting in. Yeah. So like um, I had to reset my iPad and so I typed in my Apple ID credentials and it said, okay, great. Now you have two factor authentication. Where should we send it? And you have a series of options. I can send it to my phone number, to my phone, my iPad, or I think my Mac. And I said, send it to my phone. So on my phone, a little number pops up that I put in independently. So if the bad guys get my Apple ID and password, they can put that in. But when they ask to send it to my phone or, or iPad, they aren't going to have it. They aren't going to be able to receive that message. So they can't do the final step of authenticating the, um, the login. I do want to so, throw in a caveat because if we don't, we'll get messages about it. Yeah. And that is, you do want to be careful with um, the iMessage relay that is set up now. Because if you choose to have those passwords sent to you through text message or through, I guess, text message, um, if you have those text messages forwarded to your various devices, if someone's got physical access to your machine, which is all the more reason to lock down your machine, if someone's got physical access to your machine and you've got your iMessage relaying those codes, then they're going to get those codes too. Yeah. 
I mean, if they have physical possession of your device, you're in trouble for a whole bunch of reasons, right. uh, regardless of two-factor authentication. But, but generally, I mean, most of these hacking attacks are not where they have physical possession. It's where they just have figured out your password or or got it because they got it from another website or something like that. And when you have two-factor working, that's going to prevent it. Um, one of the companies you left off the list earlier that I think is really important is Dropbox. Like, if yes, you're going to put Dropbox a lot of important good. data on Dropbox, you should do it there as well. So um, just keep an eye out if it's available. It's a good thing and you should be doing it. And it really, really decreases the the ability of the bad guys to get into your data. Yes. All right. Well, we've still got more to talk about. We are just blazing right through this episode. But before we do, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. This week, the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniFocus, the task management application that can set you free. Not a week goes by that I don't get an email from somebody who discovers OmniFocus through the podcast or maybe the screencast I made and tells me how it's changed their life. OmniFocus is so much more than a simple to-do application. It's a productivity power tool that allows you to track multiple projects and obligations in your life all at the same time. Everybody has too many obligations these days. Keeping track of all of that in your head is impossible, and OmniFocus gives you the digital tool you need not only to survive, but also to thrive. I honestly believe that I wouldn't be able to be a dad, a podcaster, a lawyer, and all the other things I do if I didn't have OmniFocus to help me keep track of it all. OmniFocus brings powerful tools like perspectives and review that help keep you on track and allow you to pursue the goals and desires that are most important to you. The Omni Group doesn't sleep. They are always adding new features to OmniFocus, and most recently we saw this with the release of Styles on the Mac. There's a whole new preference pane called Style. In it, you've got the ability to set font collections and color palettes. It currently ships with both light and dark themes, but if those don't work for you, you can create your own. The Omni Group has also recently announced some really great features for OmniFocus for iOS, including the ability to create templates that auto creates new projects. It's still in beta, but it's going to be out soon and it's awesome and I can't wait to share it with you. I guess my point is that OmniFocus is an amazing app and it just keeps getting better. So you can learn more about it if you go to omnigroup.com/omnifocus. Once again, that's omnigroup.com/omnifocus. It's an amazing application. Check it out. And if you start using OmniFocus, please drop them a note and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Okay, so how about VPN? I I like VPN. Um, basically, what VPN is going to do, and I'm very much simplifying this, but it's going to create a secure connection between your device, whether that's your Mac, your iPad, your iOS device, whatever you've got, um, and wherever you're trying to connect to. And VPN is really a must if you're browsing on any kind of public network. If you're in a coffee shop or if you're in a hotel or if you're at a conference, uh, those places are just ripe for someone to be sniffing your internet traffic and to um, uh, just do, give you a man-in-the-middle attack to to be picking up the traffic that you're sending and then sending something else back. I, I told a friend once, uh, using Wi-Fi in Starbucks is like like swimming in the community jacuzzi. You know, It's just not something you really want to do. And uh, he told me that was really gross, and then he would never do it again. And I said, well, that was my point. So uh, using something like VPN allows you to uh, to avoid that. And they aren't that expensive. You can set them up. Another way to do it, frankly, data is not that expensive anymore. If you've got a, enough data on your plan, just 
just stay with your, you know, Verizon, AT&T, whoever your wireless carriers. Uh, but I, I just generally stay off the Wi-Fi in those places unless you've got some type of um, secure tunnel. Yeah, the the two that I like, and we've talked about them both before on this podcast, um, I like Cloak and TunnelBear. I like Cloak because they've got both Mac and iOS clients, and they've got this auto-secure feature. Yeah. Um that will automatically secure your connection if you um, attach to an, a non-secure network, which basically means that I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. It's just going to turn in and turn on. Um, and I like TunnelBear because it is like super dead simple. Like you literally turn on a button and you turn it off and they have really cute bears. Yeah. So, it, 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 the simplicity of TunnelBear is what gets me. I, I, yeah. I'm still using that one. That's and the, and TunnelBear works with everything. I don't think Cloak has a Windows client yet. So if you're on multiple div- or uh, cross-platform, TunnelBear is a good option for you. Does, does Cloak give you the ability to spoof like you're in a different country as well? Yes, it does. Yeah, that's nice. So yeah, that's a side benefit, really not security. But, you know, sometimes services need you to be somewhere else. So why not? Okay. Um, you know, one of the most basic things you can do in addition to passwords and two-factor authentication to VPN is, frankly, stay up to date with the software updates. I, uh, I know that's obvious to most of our listeners, but there are people in your family uh, that will not have that. I, I went and worked on my daughter's computer a few days ago. She had some issue and she was still on Yosemite. She never updated El Capitan. And usually I do well, that. It's not I, horrible. I don't know. I don't know how, but I mean, how did that slip through the Max Sparky net? Right. I mean, when we did the updates, we don't have that many Macs in our house. I thought I went through and did them all, but maybe she was writing a paper or something. I didn't want to you know, deal with it while she was doing that. I just forgot. But, but the fact is, you know, as those updates get older and older, or as the um, installs get older and older, they're more uh, less and less likely to have the uh, most recent security patches. And something people don't realize is when Apple or Microsoft or one of these companies does a security patch, it's usually because of very well-known security hacks. If anything, the patch just puts a magnifying glass on ways to hack into the computer for people who don't have the patch. And I think one of the things the bad guys do, I think this is probably, you'll find it on the internet if you search enough, but the, um, is they look at those, those repairs and then they intentionally target people who haven't updated. Well, and when you, I, I think your daughter was probably okay on El Capitan or Yosemite, but the problem is when you get in really old software, you're going to run into problems with um, incompatibilities. You know, I've got, I, I know several people, you know, particularly in my Mac user group who just will not get off Snow Leopard. Um, for, Something about Snow Leopard has a pull on people. Yeah, for, <laughs> for various reasons. And they're having problems where web browsers aren't being updated and they can't view websites or they can't do specific things. And, um, you know, Flash isn't being updated and other things aren't being updated. And that just terrifies me. Yeah. Yes. At some point you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Uh, but it's not just the, the the system software. It's also the software you use every day. I mean, uh, there's a lot of problems with the App Store, but one of the nice things that makes updates really easy um, as you're running apps that are outside of the App Store, usually they will phone home and check for updates. But if they don't, make sure you go back to the developer site occasionally and make sure you've got the most recent version of the software. Right. Um, social media is another place where you need to be on the lookout for. I think especially if you're... Um, yeah, maybe more popular on social media, but it really can can happen to anybody. Uh, there, there can be a lot of nastiness going on in social media, and uh, you may want to at some point just consider locking down your profile. Uh, obviously, I, I if you, a, 
I have a friend who died and somebody, somebody hacked his Twitter account and it was sickening to me to see him showing up. And, and just spewing out nastiness. Um, well, that's that's very true. That's a very good point. But I just meant, you know, lock down your profile so that only people, if you wanted to, I mean, obviously a lot of people use social media for, for marketing and for connecting with the world. So that may limit your options. But, you know, I've known some, some people who, because of their job or because of their position or because they just got sick of it, decided that they were going to lock down their social media profile to only let, you know, people that they authorized see their posts. Um that maybe makes a little more sense on like photo sharing services like Instagram as opposed to very public ser- or, or more private services like Facebook rather than very public services like Twitter. But uh, I think you need to be very aware of what is public and what exactly are you posting. Um, you would be surprised how much information you can gain from a person by Googling them or looking them up on Facebook or other social media posts. Um, I, I would encourage you to try to look yourself up and look your family members up and just see, do you guys know what's out there? Do you know what what kind of um, uh, projection of yourself you're, you're putting to the world, especially if you're, you know, a quasi-public person or if you're interviewing for a job or for schools or for those types of things? If you think they don't check, you're, you're fooling yourselves. Did they, they had, um, I think it was a commercial or some, some uh, public uh, video thing they did recently where they would bring people in a room and they'd have a, a guy there with like a crystal ball who'd pretend to be a psychic and he had an earpiece and a guy in the next room with a computer and he would start telling them all about their life and it just blew them away about all these intimate details he knew. And then the big joke at the end was, no, we just got it from social media about you. Right. Uh, Katie, I don't know if we're ever going to come back to this again. And I know you are actually better and more educated on this than I am by far. Uh, what are some things you have done, if you're willing to share, to lock down your profiles? Well, I'll tell you, with with Twitter, I'm pretty open. Um, anybody can find me and see me on Twitter. But at the same time, I'm also pretty guarded with what I post. Um, I'm I'm very aware of the photos that I post, and I'm pretty aware of of what I say, such that if somebody saw it, you know, someone that I saw in a professional setting or in a public setting, um, that I wouldn't, I, I hopefully would not be embarrassed by anything that I posted on Twitter. So, uh, I, I'm especially parents. You need to talk to your kids about this type of stuff. Um, you know, be very aware of of what's being posted out there. As far as Facebook, I do use Facebook, um, but I've made a decision that Facebook is really only for um, family and real life friends. You know, if I've if I've met you in person, if I've had a meal with you, um, if I know your phone number, if you know my phone number, we can probably be friends on Facebook. But if if none of that is true, we're pr- we're probably not going to be Facebook friends. Sorry about that. Um, so that explains why you never accepted. I get it now. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, but you can go in, and I've probably locked down my Facebook post a little bit more than other people. You can be very granular with what you lock down. Um, you can create certain groups of, of Facebook friends. So you can have your friends see something, but you can set a category. I've got one called acquaintances, where acquaintances can only see certain things. I'm very particular about I have to approve before anybody can post something publicly on my wall. If somebody tags me in a picture or in a post, um, it doesn't get posted to to my wall until I approve it, um, partially just because I don't want a bad picture of me going up there. I, I don't know what people are going to say. I, I don't want it going up there yeah, without me approving that. it. I hate that. I, I, I play with Facebook a little bit every once in a while. There's like a member of my family that loves to put pictures of us up and tag us. And, you know, like one of the things in our family on Christmas morning, we get up at like 
5 a.m. It's like dark out and yeah. you know, the kids are going crazy for years. It's a big joke in the family. I wear a night shirt on Christmas. I, I wear it once a year. I got a little goofy hat I wear and you know, it's a good time. So there's a picture of me at like 5 a.m. looking like I, I'm loaded. <laughs> I think it's on Facebook with my name on it. I, I wrote her and said, would you please take that down? I don't know if she ever did, but I'm just waiting one day to show up to take a deposition or start a trial and see a picture of me in a night shirt on the on the table or something yeah yeah um that's one of the reasons why i get up dressed and fully showered before any major family event <laughs> <laughs> well you're you are uh, more aware than i am but yeah. that's that's great advice thanks yeah um, but uh, you can you can get very granular in your settings in facebook um i've even locked mine down such that um you i, I think i've got mine locked down such that you cannot search me on facebook unless you're at least a friend of a friend so, I mean, if you weren't my friend, then you would never be able to find, I don't have it so locked down that you'd never be able to find me on Facebook, but you at least have to be one degree removed from me in order to find me. Cause I don't want just anybody sending me Facebook posts. Now is Facebook better about that now? Cause I, I remember when I helped my daughter set her account up, she was at the time like 13 or 14 and they had basically everything wide open. They didn't. By default, know, it's all wide open. You got to go yeah. in and be very tweak it. And then whenever they release a new feature. It's it's wide open, so you've got to you've got to be very diligent about going in there. I, I will tell you that probably about twice a year, I go in to delete my Facebook account, and I back off and say, "Well, let me think about this some more." I, I post very very little on Facebook. I mean, I may have half a dozen dozen posts a year, but more so, I just use it to kind of keep up with what people are doing. You know, people are having kids; they post pictures of their kids and family events. So I like I like knowing what's going on. I like the fictional people on Facebook, the ones who I know really well. And then I read their post on Facebook and it's not them. It's some yeah. entirely different hypothetical yeah. person. I, I enjoy the reading those posts a great deal. All right. Um, we got we time. Could do, to, we could do a whole show on Facebook, you know? Yeah, we, we could, but I, I don't know if I could get through it. Um, well, why don't we take a break and uh, talk about our next sponsor and then get back to talking about how to fix email security. So this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Smile. Smile is the maker of fabulous software, including PDF Pen. And PDF Pen isn't just one piece of software. In fact, it's a whole family of software. You've got PDF Pen for Mac, PDF Pen Pro for Mac, PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone, and PDF Pen Scan Plus. And you can decide which versions you need to suit your needs. So at its base, the PDF pen products for Mac and for iPhone are going to be great PDF viewers and editors. In fact, they're my default PDF apps, both on Mac and iOS. So you can, with all of these applications across both the Mac and iOS, you can open up a PDF, you can add and remove text, you can fix typos, you can mark up your PDFs, you can highlight on them, you can add emphasis to things, you can add notes, you can draw and comment if you've got one of those fancy iPad Pros and an Apple Pencil. You can do it with that. In fact, I will admit that I am enjoying my 9.7-inch iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil, mostly using it with PDF Pen to annotate things. Uh, you can sign and fill out PDF forms. It's great when someone emails me a document. I can open it right on my iPhone, uh, drop my signature in with PDF Pen, send it right off just in a matter of minutes. And you can share and email files with all of the various cloud sync services, including Dropbox, iCloud. Uh, it's just amazing. And PDF Pen for the Mac will even allow you to scan and OCR documents because Mac power users know just how important it is to be able to get that metadata underneath your scans to do all sorts of fun automation things with them. And if you have a document on the go that you need to get data on, 
PDF Pin Scan Plus is going to be your solution to be able to snap a quick picture of a physical document with your iPhone. You know what the plus stands for? It stands for OCR. It's going to scan that document in, digitally recognize the characters on that page, and then you can open it with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone, or move it on over to your Mac and do all of the magic with PDF Pen there. Um, you can also upgrade to PDF Pen Pro for Mac, and you'll get even more features, like the ability to export documents uh, to uh, Word, Excel, PowerPoint format, and even turn entire websites into PDFs, create and fill those fun PDF forms that you can create. It is just absolutely amazing. The possibilities with PDF Pen across the whole lineup of products are endless. You can go check them out and learn more information over at smilesoftware.com slash MPU, learn more about their various line of products, see which one fits for you, and you can even download a free trial of PDF Pen for Mac or PDF Pen Pro for Mac. Try it out, see if it's right for you, and then decide if you want to buy it. So thanks so much to our friends over at Smile for their longtime support of Mac Power users. And make sure you go check out the whole PDF Pen family of products. So David, you're Mr. Email. You wrote the book on the topic. Did you talk much about security in your book? Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole section on it. I mean, like one of the things I did is I looked up the most common passwords, like the 10 most common passwords. And it's, it's you know, like, you know, I think number one is password, which is amazing to me that people would pick still, that as a password. Still do that. But they still do it. Yeah. There's a whole lot, there's a whole lot to talk about with email security. We, we talked a little bit earlier about the whole idea of people hacking your account. And then once getting your account, it's kind of game over for you. Um, two-factor authentication solves that in a lot of ways. And so we've already kind of gone over that ground in this episode. But uh, I think the first thing you can do for your email security is get yourself on two-factor authentication, if at all possible. And frankly, if your email provider doesn't offer two-factor authentication, that's a pretty good reason to consider moving, especially right. if it's something really important. Um, the other thing that I think is just getting uh, really big lately is the whole spam and and worse type of um, social engineering attacks where you get oh, yeah, an the email. phishing emails are horrible. Yeah. And, and they're getting wiser and smarter all the time. I, I got one the other day that was a um, it was written to me at my legal account and said, you know, uh, Jane Smith, you know, wrote a review of why you're, you know, you, you gave her terrible service at Sparks Law. You better go, you know, fix it. It was like, it, it appeared to be, um, they cloaked themselves as a scammy marketing company, you know, <laughs> which I kind of thought was brilliant in a way. It's like, well, they wouldn't be crooks because they already feel like crooks. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, but, but they said, just click on the below thing so we can, you know, show you what she said and what, you know, so, but it identified me specifically um, it looked legitimate. It had a link on the bottom that I was supposed to click on. And, and you know, that if you had touched that, like my house would have just like been a mushroom cloud. Um, and, but they do this stuff and they're getting better and better at it. I get them all the time from Apple and PayPal. And I'm saying that with air quotes because they have Apple, you know, trademark images. It has the same font and typeface and looks like Apple, but it's not. Uh, same thing with PayPal. There's a problem with your account. Please click this and log in. You know, as soon as you click that, you've just gone to some site and some faraway place. And as soon as you give them your PayPal login, you know, it's game over for your PayPal money. Um, so this stuff is happening all the time. I write books on it. And even I have paused sometimes when these things come in. Um, so, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about it. And if you have any uh, people in your family that are older who are not that wise to this game, this is the one discussion you need to have with them because I think they, um, you know, um, senior citizens are particularly vulnerable to this because 
when they were younger, nobody would have imagined playing these kinds of games on people. And, uh, that that's a big deal. So what can you do about it? Um, one thing is, uh, take a really good look at the email, like anything that doesn't identify you in particular, like your bank is not going to write you an email. that says, dear customer, they're going to write you an email that says, dear Katie, cause they have your name, you know? Um, I'm uh, looking span- at a letter from my bank that says, dear homeowner. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> well, I would say that, um, well, the fact that it, uh, it says dear customer, dear homeowner, isn't absolute proof that it's a scammer. It's absolute proof that it's probably not a bank generally, especially when it's going to be something that you have to log into. And that's another good one. A bank isn't going to send you an email that asks you to log into your account with the link in the, in the email that just doesn't happen. Uh, if you get an email from the bank, that's a problem with your account. The best thing you can do is say, great, pick up your telephone and call your bank. You know, and you call bank of America. Hey, I got an email. Is there a problem with my account? No, we have no idea what you're talking about. Well, then you don't have to worry about it. Another one, my sister got almost hooked into was a, uh, IRS saying that she had underpaid her taxes. She's like the most honest person on the planet. And it freaked her out. She's like, I have to call the IRS. I've underpaid my taxes. I'm like, no, somebody in some countries trying to get you to give them money. That's what's happening. So, um, be very skeptical about any types of emergencies that arrive in your inbox from strangers. Be very skeptical of anything that requires you to input any, uh, login credentials. In fact, I'd say, just don't do it. If you really feel like you need to log into your bank account, um, close your email program, command Q. There's your Mac power user tip, open Safari and log into your account. You know, but in the name of all that is holy, do not click the link in those emails. Right. And one of the things that you can do is you can hover just for kicks and grins, hover over any link in an email. Do not click, just hover your mouse over it and you'll see where that link is taking you. I used to tell tell people that I don't even like to say that anymore because the bad guys are getting clever enough that they put code in there to make it look like it's a legitimate link. It'll say apple.com on some of these when you hover over them. Um, but you're right. I mean that, uh, so a lot of the, a lot of them will be obvious when you hover, but don't assume just because you hover it over and it says bank of America or Apple that, that you're safe. I think you just have to treat them all as crooks and, um, and find another way to contact that vendor if there's actually an issue. Um, um, on the meta issue on email is, and so in addition to the phishing attacks and, and, you know, the phishing is just the entry point with uh, the result of a phishing attack is you give them your account information and then they take your money or you click on a link and then suddenly they have um, a bit locker that's going to lock up your hard drive and they're going to want money. There's just so many bad things that can happen when you essentially launch an application from a stranger or log into a stranger's website. And then there's also, like I said earlier, the whole idea that IMAP means that you're using cloud storage, that your email's in the cloud. So you need to have a, a good way to make sure other people can't get to that. You think I got it all? I, I think you got a, I think you got most of it, yeah. I the freak only... everybody out? I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, you have to be very careful of this. The other thing you may want to consider doing is is having a throwaway account that, or at least just a, a junk account that's kind of the barrier between you and a lot of this stuff. Um, I tend to have a, a Gmail account that I, I use for this purpose. And man, I regret when I don't use it. Like I've, right now, I, I used my primary email account for um, something that I put on the Department of Business and Professional Relations. And, you know, those 
suckers sold my email address because I am get I have been signed up to so many junk email addresses. Uh, yeah. And uh, and if I had you know number one Google's got an extra layer of spam filtering, but then I can go in and set some filters in that Gmail account to get rid of some of that stuff. And you know I'm just every day I'm being inundated with this junk. So I I also I consider having a, a throwaway account. In my case, it's a it's a Gmail account that I do also have, I have forward to my primary account. But it gives me an extra level of of protection because, and you can even do the plus something a trick with Gmail. Are you familiar with that? Where you can um, yeah. do your name plus something at gmail dot com, where you can just toss those aliases if they start getting too cluttered with junk. Um, so that's something else to consider. Yeah, I guess you know this. Uh, we've done we've covered email on the show before, but something like spam sieve where you can kind of get the junk out. And a lot of times, the junk includes a lot of the phishing attempts, so that'll self select some of the phishing. And I would particularly recommend that to family members that aren't going to be very savvy to this. I mean, I, I'll tell you one of the things I really worry about when I read this stuff and I have to stop and think is I'm thinking. How many people are getting caught up in this? Because there's so many people out there that don't listen to Mac Power users and aren't super nerds um, that could so easily get caught in these traps. Um, I mean, there's a reason why they exist. So uh, to the extent you've got people like that in your family, try and find ways to filter it out. Um, like use a use a dummy email address like Katie's talking about. Use spam. Save. Um, you know, find a good way to try and keep as much of that out of them, out of their inbox as possible. Okay, so right. uh, so email's a little scary these days. I think it's scarier than it's ever been in a long time because the, the bad guys are getting smarter. Uh, and although it's not directly technology-related, a lot of this goes with, with phone phishing, too. I got a really good fish call the other day from someone alleging to be Verizon on my Verizon cell phone. And I think it was just their luck of the draw that they caught me on a Verizon cell phone. I think they were just random yeah. calling. But it was really good. And... What, um, you know, the, what they called me and they said, hi, this is so-and-so from Verizon. We're calling to let you know about a service outage, uh, an extended outage in your, your area tonight. And I thought, well, okay, I guess that makes sense that they could be calling, you know, if there's going to be an extended outage. Uh, they said they're upgrading the network in my area and there's going to be an extended outage. And I said, okay. And he said, so as a result, we're crediting everybody one month of service. And I said, great, wonderful. He said, I just need some information from you. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're calling me. Yeah, why would you need my why, information? Why do you need my information, you know? Yeah. So what did he want? He wanted your login? Well, as soon as he said, I just need some information from you, I said, no, you don't. Click. I, I immediately yeah. turned off. I mean, I didn't even hear the rest of the spiel, but as soon as he said, I need some information from you, I mean, I, I thought about it for about two seconds and and clicked on him. Um, but, you know, I just, I you know, he had me right until he said, I need some information from you. Yeah, the the um we had a I had a client call me in a panic. You know, uh, uh, you know I told my my sister had an IRS phishing scam an email, and the client had a phone one where they called him and said, "Hey, we're coming to serve you a subpoena because you haven't paid your taxes, and we need to know the address." And and um he started freaking out, and you know he called me, and they actually had a callback number. I called them back, and they're like, "Well, if you just pay, give us the credit card, we didn't pay, you know, X thousand dollars, then we'll 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 cancel the subpoena." <laughs> I'm like, who are you and where are you located? Right, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, but it's funny how um, sophisticated these guys have become. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of bad people out there. I hate to say it. I, you know, I try to be um, always look on the bright side with people. I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt, Katie. To a fault, I guess. Yeah. All right. Um, Safari web browsing. That's another one. Or let's let's take Safari out of it and just say safer web browsing. That sounds good. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which is what actually was in the outline. I just misread it. <laughs> so, you know, I know this is a controversial suggestion, but I think you have to consider using an ad and tracker blocker now. Um, you know, ghostery or ad block or uh, on the iPhone one blocker. And I, I am not, I mean, you can have a whole separate debate about, um, you know, ad revenue and supporting sites that you visit through, you know, and supporting their sponsors and, and all. But this also now comes down to a security issue because we are seeing that these unvetted ads that are being tossed out by these mass advertising companies are becoming a vector for attacks. Yeah. And if you're going to pick one on the Mac, I would pick Ghostery. Um, I've never used one blocker. Have you used that one before? One blocker is on iOS. So what I use is oh, I, use, I use a combination I... of Ghostery and AdBlock because yeah. I, Ghostery more blocks um, tracking cookies. Yeah. And uh, AdBlock really blocks the ad. The, um, I, I don't even know the name of the one I'm using on iOS. I'll look it up while, next time I have a minute. But, the, um, but it also, there's an added advantage to using ad blockers on iOS is Safari works faster. It speeds up browsing. And you remember that wire cutter report showed that you get a lot better battery life when you're, when you're using an ad blocker. Yeah. Um, flash, you know, it's Ugh. kind of surprising to me. Flash is still a thing. I mean, it, it like 10 years ago, people were like, when are we going to kill flash? And 10 years later, it's still a thing. I just read an article recently. I, I linked it at Max Barkey where there was a, critical security breach with flash where they had this emergency update for everyone. So everyone had to like run around like chickens with their hair on fire, trying to get their, this update done before the bad guys got into their computers because of a flash vulnerability. Um, I, I don't know how long ago it was. I just stopped installing flash. You know, it doesn't ship on a Mac anywhere. You get a new Mac. There's no flash on it. Um, there's a whole lot of reasons why not to use flash. Um, quick war story a friend of mine and his wife bought laptops at the exact same time and they thought hers had a defective battery and it was just that she was running flash and he wasn't it was making such <laughs> a significant difference um the uh so so the the insider trick on the mac is don't install flash at all and if you run into a website where you have to have flash working uh install uh, google chrome and google chrome has kind of a workaround for flash so it, it'll work on it'll it'll display flash content without you installing flash on your mac and then you're not vulnerable. I I don't run Flash on any of my Macs anymore. I just use yeah. the I use the Chrome workaround, and I'm yeah, there have been some pretty bad uh, Flash vulnerabilities lately too. Yeah, I, you know it's funny. I um I was doing a little shopping recently, and I went to like a store, and in order to actually see the products, you needed to have Flash installed, and I'm sure they had some amazing graphics, right? You know, whatever. <laughs> just like no, thank and, you. And, and I thought, well, I could load, load Chrome or I could just go find another store that sells the same thing without me having to load Chrome. So I'll just do that. <laughs> you know, So uh, I'm not sure that it's really a good idea. It's a, it seems like Flash is still like a mainstay for like restaurant websites and, and some really goofy online shoppers. But generally, uh, otherwise, it's pretty much gone. Like advertising doesn't use Flash nearly like it used to because people aren't aren't watching it. Um, extensions. What about uh, Safari and, and web I, extensions? I, I think you just need to be wary of them. I do a gut check with your extensions. Go look and see what you've got installed because it can be easy to accidentally install an extension. And we're seeing some nefarious ones out there. Yeah. And yeah. so if you're installing an extension or an add-on to your browser for any reason, um, really ask yourself, why am I doing this? What is the source? And do I trust this? Yeah. And look later to see if you're still using it or not. 
you know, it may be fun to install one that, you know, changes the name of a person on your website, but if you don't care in a couple of weeks, just, just get that stuff off your computer. Um, let's do a final sponsor and get back. Cause there's some more content here on how to secure and lock yourself down. This episode of the Mac power users is sponsored by one password, the password solution when it's too important to go anywhere else. It seems like every time I open my email, I'm getting a disclosure from some company that says they lost my password and user ID to hackers. At this point, it's obvious that we can't really trust anybody but ourselves to take care of our own personal data security. And 1Password is the tool to help you do that. 1Password can store all your passwords, pin codes, documents, and credit cards. It can change weak or duplicate passwords to improve your online security, and it saves you time on the web by signing into accounts with a single click. You literally can have your cake and eat it too. You'll have absolutely rock-solid secure passwords and very convenient use of them as you surf the internet. You just have to try 1Password once and you'll be hooked. For example, I was recently at the doctor's office and he asked me about something that we had talked about earlier. So I opened 1Password and went to my secure note with my notes concerning my medical treatment. And the doctor was amazed, first, that I had the answer, and second, that I would carry that on my phone. But when I showed him it was locked up in a separate application that was hidden behind my Touch ID, he was then just impressed and bought a copy of 1Password for himself. I use this application multiple times a day. It's on my Mac and on my iPhone and iPad, but they also have versions for Android and PC. They've got some great new options like the family plan where you can pay a subscription and then have your whole family on 1Password. That way, the next time someone asks you for the bank login code, you don't have to send it to them as a text message. Instead, you can send it to them securely through 1Password. I also use it to send my kids the Netflix login about once a week. If you're coming to 1Password from some other password manager, you're fine with that too because they've got a great import manager that will slurp in all that data and get you rolling with 1Password. I know I've said it before, but I don't encourage people to buy Macs. They have to make their own decision about which platform they'll use, but I do encourage people to use 1Password. Data security is just way too important these days, and there's just way too many smart bad guys trying to get into it. Get yourself 1Password and solve that problem. Thanks 1Password for sponsoring the show. And please let the gang at 1Password know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. All right. So I think the big thing really out here is just you need to be aware. Um, general awareness of, of where you are, of, of where your data is, and of what you're doing. And I think so much of this can be stopped if, if we all just take a minute to slow down and think about what am I doing? What am I about to do? Why am I doing it? And, and why am I here? And is this something I really want to do? Um, and so I think just taking a few minutes to think about something, why, why am I being asked for my password? What action did I take to initiate this? Is this something that I really wanted to do? Is this the expected consequence of, of what I was, was wanting? And if not, just back out of it. Yeah. But yep. I, I think you also need to be aware. Uh, one of the things that this Apple and FBI scenario has taught us is you need to be aware of where you're storing your data and if you're okay with that. Um, for example, if you're storing or syncing your data on some cloud storages, you need to be aware that they are going to have their own policies and they may be susceptible to having to turn your data over for different reasons. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, it sounds like Apple has done everything appropriate and within the realm of 
uh, legality when complying with these uh, unlock requests for the San Bernardino uh, hackers. I mean, not unlock requests, excuse me. Um, you know, turning over the the data that was in the iCloud backup. Yeah. Um, but you need to be aware that if you're backing up your data and you're storing it in someone else's servers, that your data is really only as safe as a subpoena. And yeah. that's well, not. They're going to have obligations. Like they if you are. put your yeah. data somewhere, it's. I don't know what the real world analogy is. I guess if if you have something, some secret information, and you leave it at your friend's house, and someone comes to their house with a warrant to search their house, that information is going to get shared. So, um, anytime you put it somewhere other than you know on your own hard drive, that's a possibility. Well, and of course, your own hard drive can be subpoenaed. Yeah, I know, access, but, I, but I'm just yeah. talking about from a third party subpoena. And that's just the way it is. And, and I know these services are actually kind of taking steps to try and make themselves um, in a way that they can't be subpoenaed, you know, that they they they, they uh, encrypt the data in a way that they cannot un- unencrypt it. Yeah, and, I think and, we're going to see Apple start making some changes in the next couple of uh, upgrade cycles with how they're storing data. We've already seen that they store a certain amount of data in a way that they can access it. And I think you're going to see them shifting more of it for two reasons. One, because they care very much about privacy. And two, because they just don't want to deal with it. They want to say, you know, we don't have access to it. Sorry. Yeah. And honestly, I, you know, the, the FBI thing is a very sexy topic right now, but I, the, the thing that concerns me more than that is the hackers. I mean, if the hackers get into the Apple servers and the data is encrypted in a way that even Apple can't unencrypt it, then I feel a lot safer than if it's in a way that Apple can access it. Because if Apple can access it, then theoretically the hackers could access it too. Well, or a rogue employee or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. Those so, things can happen. So I, that, I mean, to me, that's the big win for that on the consumer level is frankly protecting us, not from the government. I'm not really worried that much about the government, but I'm, I'm worried about all these terrible people out there that do want to get the data and they do want, you know, to use it for nefarious reasons. Right. So, uh, and, and so just are, be aware. Yeah. I was going to say there are some things you can do to protect yourself. Um, some services offer the ability for you to encrypt your um, information with your own encryption key. Like I know, for example, I've got all my backblaze backups encrypted with my own encryption key that I have to know that I have to input in order for that data to be unlocked and backblaze can't do that. And that's one of the things I like about backblaze's service. I believe, um, Oh boy, the one with the little greenhouse, David um, crash plan. Yeah. Also has a similar service. Um, if you want to store something encrypted up in Dropbox, um, of course, you can always encrypt it yourself using a secure disk image or one of the um, other many encryption tools that are out there. Um, so there are options for that. You just, I think you, the general message I'm trying to get across here is you need to be aware of where your data is being stored. Yeah. And in addition to being aware of where your data is, you should also think about who has access to your hardware because uh, it's really easy to think you're you're lock solid. You know, I've got everything at my work in this room that has a key and is locked at night and there's an alarm system. And then you stop to think about, well, there's a cleaner that comes through every day and there's a person that does this every day. And you, before you think about it too long, you've got 10 people that have access to your computer when you're not in the room every day. And um, so give some thought to that. And, and, well, and especially you know, lot, if it's your office, your your employer may not necessarily need to respect your, you know. Yeah. Know. Well, they you know they don't have you don't have a right to privacy to something that is at work that they've paid for, so they they can look at it. In fact, one of the first articles I wrote at Max Barkey years ago was about how I used a separate Dropbox account at work because I didn't want all of my Dropbox data 
on the work computer. Um, the, uh, I think another thing people don't think about as much is the laptops and iOS devices. It's the same thing. They're portable. So there's even more people that have access to that device without you. And as we said earlier, um, physical, physical possession of your stuff is really game over no matter what you're doing. Well, and you had uh, talked about if you're storing something at work, but I think we also, it goes double if you're using a work device, perhaps a device that is yeah. owned by your employer or is perhaps managed by your employer. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so think about where's your, where are your ones and zeros? Where's your data? Where's your hardware? And what can you do to further secure that? And there's always something that can be done. So just give it some thought. And if you're thinking about it, you're, you're way ahead of everybody else at this point. Uh, there's also some software solutions that can help keep you safe. We talked about VPN already. It's a great way to kind of avoid that kind of man in the middle stuff you get when you go to Starbucks. Um, anti-malware, um, not really a thing on iOS, but it's kind of a thing on Mac. Kind of. Uh, yeah, I, I use, um, I use malware bytes. I mean, I don't use it often, but I use it, um, I scan it when I need to and knock on wood. It hasn't come up with anything yet, but I think yeah. that's a great tool. And we had our first ransomware on the Mac in the last few months. So who knows? Maybe it may become a bigger thing. I don't know. Yeah. David um, and I have both mentioned that we personally don't run antivirus software right now, but just because we don't do it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best policy for everybody. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, would you advise perhaps other users? run antivirus if you know perhaps i hate to give advice i don't to know run it or not run it i, I ran it um uh, you know when i had windows computers at work we always ran it and it was always such a dog and it felt to me like some of the antivirus software felt like it was a virus in itself like when you went to try and remove it like it was impossible and and i just hate to go down that road with my mac and i don't feel like i need to yet but you know everybody chooses their own poison so you know don't come to me if you get virus attacks because you didn't use virus software. I guess we should just like record that as like, is there such a thing as an audio text expander snippet? We could, <laughs> just every time we say virus, we'll just play that. Yeah. Um, there, there's a great little app called little snitch that um, monitors outgoing traffic. I mean, there's lots of things on your computer to say, where is data coming in from little snitch looks at outgoing traffic. And it's, it's really amazing when you first install it because almost everything on your computer is dialing out to the internet. I mean, just like the, the dumbest little $2 app you bought in the app store is going to dial, you know, it's going to, it's going to phone home to see if there's an update. Like it, it, all these apps are like accessing the internet from your computer. It's amazing when you see uh, the extent of it. Um, and, and it's kind of overwhelming, but the developers of little snitch do a pretty good job of allowing you to kind of, once it gets things sorted out, it does a good job of finding anomalies and that's a good thing to have if you're really worried about this stuff, because, you know, an open connection to the Internet that starts, you know, porting out all your contacts or secret data is something that you would want to know about. Um, and then we mentioned uh, 1Password, obviously a sponsor, and they're sponsoring this episode, in fact. Uh, Authy is another one that we liked for managing um, two-factor authentication as well. Uh, we've mentioned a lot of good apps. We'll try to put links to most of those in the show notes as well. Yeah, the most important weapon against all of this stuff is just, you know, a couple licks of common sense, you know, just think if you're aware of these issues, you're going to catch a lot of them before they become a problem for you. And like I said, I'm not that worried about the Mac power users listeners so much as I'm about their families and friends, because 
I just think so many people out there are just walking into this buzzsaw every day with no idea. Well, that's a good good thing to end on is how do you think you have this conversation with your family and friends? Because many people aren't going to start, you know, it's, it's a lot of people don't look at backup until they've lost something critical. You know, how do you have the conversation with someone about implementing some of these security measures until they've become a victim of a problem? Um, well, tell them about a friend that got hacked and lost, you know, a thousand dollars or something, you know, create a sense of urgency for them. I don't know. I mean, I, honestly, just tell them this is really a big deal now and it's, and the, the bad guys are getting smarter and smarter and, you know, let me help you do a couple things. Actually, and it's just, them, it's really hard to recover from. What would be, I guess the three or four points you'd want to make to somebody out there who's not really aware of this. I, I think, uh, the two that come to mind directly for me is uh, email phishing and, and unique passwords. If I was going to try and get, I think those would be two things I'd really want to get across to somebody. Yeah, I, I agree. Those are, those are the two big things is that uh, if you're going to do only one thing, let's, let's focus first on getting the passwords under control and then let's just have a general conversation about, and I think, you know, things that you do and don't click on the internet and things that you do and don't click on your email. And I guess I would add a third one I thought of while you were talking is, is just locking down the computers with encrypted, you know, encrypt the iOS device and, you know, turn on. Yeah. The physical, the physical lockdown stuff is so easy. Yeah. Okay, Katie. Um, So there you have it. Um, How to lock down your technology as according to the Mac power users in 2016. Um, Do you think we missed anything? Well, I'm, we I'm, I'm we sure we did. And you know what? If we did, there's a fix for that because people can uh, can write us or what we like even better is if you send us your audio comments, try to keep them two minutes or less, and we will feature those on a future Mac Power Users Live. And you can send those to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com uh, and, and we'll try to incorporate as many of those as we can into the, the MPU Live follow-up show. You could also tweet out uh, the question with the hashtag AskMPU with no space, and that would get into our magic system. So we yeah, no questions, it. just answers. We just like answers. Yeah, answers are always great. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. right. Uh, if you want to follow us, uh, David is at Max Sparky. I'm Katie Floyd on Twitter. Uh, and you can find us both at our respective websites. I'm katiefloyd.com, and David is maxsparky.com. You know something I'd like to do? We haven't done this in a long time. If you haven't given us a review on iTunes and you love us, especially if you love us, why don't you give us a review? It's been a long time since we've asked for that. And and you can do those, I think, once a year or something. You can. You can do them once a year. Yeah, we would love a five-star review from you on iTunes. And if for any reason you feel like you can give us a five-star review, do me a favor and shoot me an email with your constructive criticism of how we can get better because we would love to get better. Um, so thank you, everybody. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Smile, 1Password, OmniFocus, and Igloo. And we will see you all next time.